Scientists typically have a hard time storytelling. In science, you are raised to look at the facts and you are raised to be thorough with the data. There's not a lot of training with respect to appealing to emotion or humanity or storytelling. But what I've found is that in order for your work to be impactful, you need to build consensus. And a way of doing that is by bringing in that story, the emotion, etc. cetera. Uh, and I, I look at it as a tool that I can use towards furthering some objective or goal. Hello, I'm Denise Withers, and you're listening to Forward, an interview series where today's leaders reveal how they use stories to make change and shape the future. If you need a new way to move forward towards your goals, then stay tuned, because I have just the story for you. Today, I'm at Globe 2020, the world's biggest sustainable business summit hosted in spectacular Vancouver, Canada, and I have the extreme privilege of talking with Dr. Phil DeLuna, a Canadian scientist who's been leading the world in energy research for years, and he's not even 30 yet. A few of Dr. DeLuna's accomplishments as a materials expert include winning the Governor General's gold medal, publishing in esteemed journals Science and Nature, finishing in the top 10 of the $20 million Global X Prize competition, co-founding a carbon tech venture and raising more than $1.5 million, working with the OECD and being named to Forbes' top 30 under 30 list. Currently, he's a challenge program director at the National Research Council Canada, running a $57 million collaborative research program to develop novel materials to produce clean and sustainable energy. And as you're probably starting to figure out, he's a busy high-impact guy and I'm thrilled he's able to join me today. So welcome, Phil. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. Awesome. So people often pigeonhole scientists as bad communicators and terrible storytellers. And mm. that's a huge problem because the world's in crisis and we need to know about all the innovative work that's being done so we can use it to develop solutions. But that doesn't seem to be an issue for you. And, and that's fantastic. So I know you're using story as a key tool to mobilize your research. And I'd love it if you could share a couple of examples of how you do that. Absolutely. And I think you, you touched on a few things there, which is that scientists typically have a hard time storytelling. And I'll, I want to address that before I give examples of how I use storytelling. And I think it's in science, you are raised to look at the facts and you are raised to be thorough with the data. There's not a lot of training with respect to context. There's not a lot of training with respect to appealing to um, emotion or humanity or storytelling because that doesn't necessarily make good science, quote unquote. But um, what I've found is that in order for your work to be impactful, you need to build consensus. And a way of doing that is by bringing in that story, the emotion, etc. And it, you really have to understand who your audience is. If I'm writing a, a scientific paper for science or nature, then it's going to be rigorous. It's going to be data driven. There will be a story, a flow, a context, but it won't necessarily be the same thing if I'm for example, giving an interview to Vice or on this podcast with you or trying to have stakeholder engagements with folks who are trying to, are trying to engage in my program. So I think there's oftentimes scientists communicate in science and they don't necessarily have the exposure or the opportunity to communicate in these other media. So I'll give you a couple of examples of where I use stories in my, my own career. When I talk about my work, I try to use analogies and I try to use things that people understand. So for example, when I describe my program, I'll say, 
We're working on technologies to help decarbonize Canada's oil and gas and petrochemical sector. That can seem kind of jargony. So then I follow up with, similar to how Tesla electrified the automotive industry, we're trying to electrify Canada's oil and gas and chemical industry. And, and they can, they can latch onto that. They can go, okay, so what is, so Tesla's disruptive. It's exciting. It's a mover. It's a first mover. It's about transition. So this guy is trying to work on things that are new, exciting, disruptive, and moving. And the petrochemical and energy sector seems huge and large, and it is, and it's very complex, but at least it gives people a sense of, of, of what that means. So I, I try to incorporate analogies as, as much as I can. And then I try to also incorporate a little bit of my own personal history and my own lived experience. So when I talk about what drives me to do research, I, I, I like to think back to where I grew up. I grew up in Windsor, Ontario. And I grew up during the fall of the automotive sector. My, my father was a, a worker at Ford and then he got laid off. Unfortunate timing right after we had purchased our house. <laughs> and so I, I, I know exactly what it's like to see a community that's dependent on one industry and that industry leaving. And I look at Canada's West right now, and I see a lot of parallels between that sector and, and this sector, and the, what I grew up with in the automotive sector. So when I talk about what motivates me to work in energy research and the energy transition, what motivates me is, of course, the climate change. It, it goes without saying that this is the largest problem that we have to face, and of course. But there's also the personal aspect, which is, how can we try to how, how can we try to combat climate change while also ensuring a, a prosperous and economically viable society for Canada? It, it's that transition that's the difficult part. So those are two two ways: analogies and, and personal history. Great, and I mean, you, I just have so many questions that come <laughs> up for me. So I'm, I'm going to park the question about how can we help scientists be better communicators, and I want to come back to that. Sure. But I'm curious because you know, the, what you're doing in terms of drawing on your personal experience and recognizing that you need to be able to uh, speak to your audience and know about your audience and contextualize things for your audience. You know, not everybody has mm -hmm. those skills. Do you remember when you came to recognize that that was something that was going to work for you? You know, how did you develop that personal mm. awareness of your own story and the importance of bringing your own narrative into that work? Where it all really started, when I started thinking more about storytelling and the power of storytelling, the power of, of making a brand for yourself, um, was, was kind of in high school. I was into drama. I really liked drama. I was on the debate team. I was on student council. I was valedictorian. And I, I liked the, I liked attention, but not attention for the sake of attention, but attention because I had something to say. And so in debate and during my valedictorian speech, I, I would get this high off of knowing that people were listening, that they were uh, processing it, that it was impactful. And it's not that I ever sought training. It just happened. So I get the sense that you experiment for a living, right? And mm -hmm. so there was probably a fair bit of experimentation that went on in figuring out how to be a great communicator and storyteller. Were there any examples that you can think of where maybe it didn't go so well? Yeah, oh, I, I can think of many. <laughs> I, I mean, speaking again to my history, I think it, everyone goes to that period where they uh, are learning how to use social media and they say something a little cringeworthy that maybe they shouldn't have. And I've recently gone through my social media and deleted a lot of stuff <laughs> just because I, I, I look back and I say that 
Uh, I don't know why I said that or how that makes any sense, but it's not not for this time and age. And then, and more recently, communicating often the mistakes I've made is when I misunderstand an audience. It's when I think that either this person doesn't know enough or this person knows a, a base already. And so often it's it's me not understanding. Okay, I need to set a little bit of context before going to the details. Or this person is an expert in the space, so I can dive deep into it. And and for me, what I try to do is subtly get an understanding of what their reference level is for knowledge in whatever particular area we're discussing. So I'll ask some probing questions. I'll make a mention to a recent event that maybe is important for that sector. And then if I try to do that in in a subtle way, so as to make sure that everyone is comfortable, and then I'll gradually become more detailed. But often, uh, as a scientist, uh, what we do is when we engage with someone, we take for granted that they maybe don't know the base of something, or maybe they're in an adjacent field and th- they know a lot, um, but uh, they just need a refresher on this specific sector or or issue. So it really is about trying to understand your audience first. I love that, and I wouldn't mind going a bit deeper in that, if you mm-hmm. don't mind, because so I've worked with a lot of scientists, at, mm. during my, especially during my documentary work, and what I've found, and it's not just scientists, experts in any field, mm-hmm. very often feel compelled to explain all the detail behind mm-hmm. their work and to give a lot of backstory before they kind of get into, and then this is what we did. Mm-hmm. And and I understand it because I do the exact same thing when I'm talking about storytelling. Yeah. And and so I, I'm curious how you, how you manage that urge. Yeah. It's tough. It's always a balance. And I think there are some experts who feel that they need to let people know that they're experts. And so what they'll do is they'll over, they, they almost make things difficult to understand on principle. Because if, if, if it's not, if it's too easy to understand, then it's not a complicated issue. And why would I work on a complicated issue? Because I'm a genius, right? And I've always found that off-putting. So I, it's, it's, it's tough. You really do have to know who the, the person that you're talking to and, and the level that you can engage with them. But for me personally, the way that I try to straddle that line is I always talk to someone um, with respect and I never try to discount what their experience or their knowledge is. And I try to distill as much as possible what I can into simple um, messaging. I think that's something that scientists also have a hard time or experts have a hard time doing. And a lot of those skills actually come from a creative place rather than a technical place. For me, I, I grew up reading a lot of uh, Harry Potter, <laughs> right? And like a lot of storytelling. And I, I used to sketch and, and paint and all of these things. But taking something complex and making it uh, simple that someone else can understand requires a lot of symbolism and a, and a lot of contextualization, which you get from creativity. And I think that sometimes people, especially experts, don't think creatively in an artistic way. Maybe they think creatively in a technical way, but to communicate to something to someone, you have to appeal to um, a, a base level, and I think that artistic appeal is uh, is a little bit more powerful than maybe a technical one. That's really interesting. So a lot of the work that I do, I combine what people call the design thinking process and storytelling, and mm-hmm. they're both actually problem solving frameworks. So stories describe how a hero solves a problem. Mm-hmm. A design process describes how designers solve a problem. So you can kind of overlay the two. And, and the scientific method 
describes how a scientist solves a problem, right? They're yeah. all very similar. But the thing that they all have in common is, which you described so beautifully, this process of distillation mm -hmm. and really being able to crystallize problem definition. What is the problem that you're trying to solve? Because, you know, from storytelling, if you don't know that, you can't tell a good story. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know that in your science, I'm going to guess it's going to lead you down the wrong path. Exactly. Yep. So Phil, to me, that's really the crux of it. So, you know, can you think of things that you did other than reading Harry Potter, maybe yeah. that, you know, really helped you develop that critical, critical skill? Yeah. Distillation is... It's funny because you hear about this stuff in sort of business jargon all the time. And you hear about this is essentially the job of a consultant, right? Is to try to take a complex issue and distillate and then come up with a solution and then present it to a client and, then, and most of the time walk away. And to me, when I think about the need to distillate, a lot of it is actually me being excited about my work and describing it to my friends and to my family and the more that you speak to people who are not in your field about what you do, the better you get at explaining what you do. Uh, my friends are, are very smart people, and so it's not that they don't they wouldn't understand it, but there, of course there's nuance and details that you just can't uh, hammer out unless you have a background or if you studied this, the, the topic deeply. So when I do speak to my friends, and I, and I, and I am passionate about my work, it really helps me to find the right messaging or find that right level of crystallization that would help me in talking to a stranger or, or talking to uh, a potential stakeholder or something like that. I love that because that's something really practical that everybody can do, right? Mm -hmm. Just practice on your friends and family. Yeah. yeah that's fantastic. Um, and I want to come back to something else that you said or you talked about building a brand for yourself, mm -hmm. which is, you know, again, for somebody, especially a scientist of my generation, is just a radical concept, mm -hmm. right? And so you know, A, why is that important to you? And B, how have you been using story to do that? Yeah, I, it's important because it, in today's day and age, especially with, with social media, with the interconnectedness, with the competition, with the many awards and accolades that one may earn, it, it becomes more and more difficult to set yourself apart. And when, when you sent uh, that, that description or that introduction of me, and I, I, every time I, I do some one of these interviews and I hear that and I go, wow, did I really do all that? That's weird. But um, the reason that, that drives me to do that, it's not necessarily because I want an award for the award's sake or I apply for this, for that. I, I look at it as a tool that gives me an asset that I can use towards furthering some objective or goal. And uh, when I say that you, you are your own brand, I mean that not necessarily from just a business sense, but I also mean that in life, your personality is your brand, your, the way that you carry yourself, the way you interact with people, the way that you interact with your friends, with your loved ones, with your coworkers, that builds a brand for yourself. And while maybe brand is a bit of a commercial way to put it, it, it encapsulates how you interact with the world and how the world interacts with you. So it's, it's important for me to amplify that and to ensure that people understand who I am and what I stand for because it allows me to um, make impact and effect on the things that I care about. And uh, I wouldn't be in the position I am and I wouldn't have had the opportunities that I had if I didn't leverage my brand or if I didn't leverage the things that I've done, my lived experiences and these awards and accolades that I, I earn or apply for, not be just for the name, but because I know that it will help me get the next thing. And I think that it's people... Um, 
often don't realize that marketing is just, while it has a distaste because it, it seems very commercial, there's a value to it in the sense of trying to communicate what you're about and what value you bring. And when I say that you are your own brand, I mean you, people need to focus on doing things that reinforce um, what you stand for. And uh, saying you're your own brand is just an easy way to say that. <laughs> that was just so eloquent and so beautiful. And you, you summed it up perfectly. And, and I would say that there's a lot of marketing companies and a lot of big companies out there <laughs> who do not understand brand that the way you do. Mm. Um, and you're really, you're living your brand, which is one of the most critical pieces. Mm -hmm. And, you know, coming back to that notion of when you, when we talk about storytelling, you know, how you're, you're, it's problem solving, really describing how you solve problems. Problem solving in service of a purpose. Yes. Right. And, and not everybody is going to understand their purpose mm -hmm, right away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so if you're 14 in high school, it's going to take you a while through analyzing your brand actions and the stories of the things that you've done mm -hmm. to be able to figure out what your purpose is. And, and so is that, is that self-reflection and analysis? Uh, you know, how do you build that into the work that you do? That's, that's exactly right. I think that I like to think that I'm a very self-reflective person. And oftentimes, it's hard to find in people who are very busy, to, uh, which is understandable. You get lost in your work. It's difficult to take time to set aside, to look back on what you've done, what you want to do, take stock of it, take stock of the relationships you have and, and what you want out of them, both per professional and personal, and then come up with plans to do it. it, it that takes time. It takes effort. That takes work. It, and I think that a lot of it is because I've, I've always been a very emotional person. Growing up, I was never really a tough guy or anything like that. I was always, I was always a romantic, honestly. That was me. And this is, a lot of this stuff comes easy to me because it's, it's kind of how I've always been. But for those who maybe don't, aren't as self-reflective, um, some tools and things that you can do in your life is keep a journal. It doesn't even have to be every night, but just every once in a while, write down things that um, happen to you that you you're, that you think about that you care about. I've I've also been very lucky to be surrounded by friends who are also not only emotional but who can match me and are willing to be open and vulnerable with me. And another thing that you can do is be open and vulnerable with those close to you. Because when you do that, they'll open up to you, you'll open up to them. And just the act of, of explaining yourself and being vulnerable is in itself a self-reflection. Like this entire podcast that we've been having, I've been self-reflecting as I've been processing my thoughts, as I've been saying these words out of my mouth. So the more that you talk about yourself openly and unabashedly with others will help as well. And quite frankly, I think you just, people need to not be afraid of what, of what people will think of you. At the end of the day, no one cares more about you than yourself, really, or thinks about you more than yourself. So just oftentimes we amplify these things in our head when really what we should be thinking about is can you live with, with yourself? And at the end of the day, what's the worst that's going to happen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you know, what I heard you describing there is the process of going back and basically analyzing your stories, analyzing your personal narrative, and, and then shaping a future story, building on that to shape a future story mm -hmm. of how you want to be in the world and what you want to achieve in the world. And so everybody can do that at a, at a personal level. Yep. And how do you take those same processes, because it's not rocket science, take those same processes and apply them to your research mm. in terms of what you've done 
to build you know, your expertise and your experience and, and past work to lead you up to the research you want to do now. I'm thinking about proposal writing, mm. right? grant writing. If you can structure your proposal as a story, as a future story of what you want to do, it yeah. gives you a really nice way to then guide your work and measure your impact afterwards. So yeah. you know, how, do, how does this personal work flow into the research that you're doing and how you manage yeah. that, those stories? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll give you a, a tangible example. When I started this program, uh, when I was first hired about a year ago at the NRC, I had to write this uh, 85 to 100 page document, which is essentially my program proposal. And it went through the context, what the budget was, what we're going to accomplish, what our milestones were, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was, it was kind of like a business plan slash thesis wrapped into one. I, I, it was, it was a fun exercise. And the way that I, um, looked at that is I, and the way that I developed that, that document, was again, I looked back at my own personal expertise at what I could bring to the table, the areas that I thought were relevant and important. And then I also took into account the data on what needs to happen in the future. One of the things that I looked at, for example, was what are Canada's greenhouse gas emissions projections per sector between now and 2030. And I wanted to make sure that uh, the work that we were doing was making the most impact in the sectors that had, that needed the most help, that had the most emissions projections. And so that allowed me to narrow down the focus and, and help to shape what my program was going to be. And it's about CO2 conversion and, and clean hydrogen production and artificial intelligence for materials discovery. And then I, I, the way that I, I looked at this, that was the anchor with which to build that story of that program on, was what are the sectors that need the most help? And how can my program help those sectors? And when we look at these sectors, it, there's two that come to mind or th that really stand out. Oil and gas uh, and manufacturing petrochemicals. And at the heart of those sectors, it's transformation. It's these large industrial energy sectors. And it, in order to impact them, I wanted to work on really, quite frankly, the things that, that needed to happen to decarbonize those sectors. And if we look at that, there's two things. Um, one is you, you need to have zero emission transportation fuels. And second is you need to decarbonize deep industrial processes, both of which are very difficult to do, and both, both of which will account for about half of our emissions going forward, and both of which we do not yet have a scalable technology solution for. So that's the basis of, of that program, and the story revolves around a problem. And when I look back and to your, your question, when I look back on, on that self-reflection and how did I use my experience to build this program, it all came around what is the problem I'm trying to solve. Understanding that problem, crystallizing what that issue is, that's the most important thing. And when I hear you talk about that program, I get really excited because <laughs> you know, I hear that future story and, and I think, well, how can I help you? How can I engage mm. in your program? Because what a fantastic purpose and what a fantastic quest you're on and who wouldn't want to be part of that quest to create something really amazing like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, so being able to share your, your, your project in that way mm -hmm. must be incredibly powerful for you. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, I, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't feel a purpose. So there's something that really drives me is I, I need to feel that I'm contributing and that I'm a firm believer that we, we have one life, we have a limited amount of time, we need to live it to its fullest and, and do as much as we can while we have the time we have. So I think that people take for granted the importance of getting other people to understand your purpose. Because when people understand your purpose, then they feel invested and uh, they want to help you on that journey. And that is a perfect segue because 
you know, my, a big part of my purpose is how do we increase engagement because we can't make change alone. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the lone inventor who's going to change the world, it just doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to make a difference, you need to figure out how to engage people. So thinking about all the experts and all the scientists out there who are really struggling. So either they don't have the skills or the thought of having to communicate their work and tell stories just turns their stomach. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, know, what mm-hmm. are some practical things that, that they could do to, mm-hmm. to help move in that direction? Well, I think the first thing is to start small and don't necess- you don't need to start by trying to explain your life's work. Start by talking to people about things you can find easily talking that you could easily talk to them about, and then slowly incorporate pieces of your work into that conversation. And then before you know it, you can seamlessly transition to a discussion about sports or music to a discussion about decarbonizing Canada's oil and gas and petrochemical sector. Right? Communication skills are all about practice, just like every other skill. So the more that you talk to people, the more it'll help. How to get yourself out of that zone? I I, I think. Something tangible that scientists can do is is l- l- maybe take a really technical paper and then imagine you're trying to explain that to your um, grandmother or to uh, your child. Think about taking a piece of text and then drawing a representation of that text. Think about, and all of these exercises are about trying to build these linkages of something that's detailed and complex and something that is more symbolic. Practicing that linkage between detailed and complex to something that's symbolic is is key to being able to communicate your message in an easy and digestible way. And, and other things you can do is you go online and, and watch a, a ton of TED Talks. Read more things that are outside of your field and then see how people try to explain a complex topic in their field to you. And, and then learn from what they're doing as well. There, At the end of the day, it's all about communication, I think, and it's all about storytelling. And in order to be a good storyteller, uh, you need to listen to and understand and experience a lot of stories. And then you also have to be confident and know what your story is. That's fantastic advice. Thank you. Any any last thoughts or last words you'd like to share with, with the audience? Well, first, I want to thank you for this opportunity to be on your podcast. And I, I, I feel like we could talk about this forever. Yep. <laughs> uh, there's, there's, I, I feel very motivated to, to share my story and to share how I got to where I am because quite frankly, there aren't a lot of people like me in this position that I'm in. I'm a 28 year old immigrant Filipino kid and I'm in a position where I'm at the decision making table for many things that matter. And I, I hope that other people who are looking at these tables of decision making and I hope that they can look and say if Phil can do it I can do it too so I I guess my last sort of parting words out there to whoever's listening is focus on your story because your story is everything that matters to you and if if you don't believe in it no one else will perfect advice thank you so much for making time for this and I would love to continue the conversation so maybe we'll check back in in a year or so and see see where things are at sure absolutely all right thank you you've been listening to forward a podcast about how leaders use stories to shape the future if you'd like to know more about how story design can help you develop and sell your big idea get in touch at deniswithers.com